Hi everyone, I'm Les. And I'm Ashley. And you're listening to Anthropotamus, where we explore some of your favorite anthropology topics. Hello everyone, welcome to our latest episode of Anthropotamus. We're here with Dr. Richard Scott from the University of Nevada, Reno, and we'll be discussing multiple occurrences of the rare Euro-Aztecan premolar variant in Hungary, point to ancient ties between populations of Western Eurasia and the Americas. That was a very long title I just read. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Scott, for being with us today. My pleasure. So for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your background in education anthropology and why specialize in teeth? Okay, I'll do this quickly. Uh, uh, I started off majoring in chemistry at Arizona State University, and uh, I was not very good at balancing molar equations. So the second semester, I took a course in anthropology and absolutely loved it. And so I switched majors my freshman year from chemistry to anthropology. And over the next four years, I took five courses in cultural, five courses in physical, and five courses in archaeology. And by my senior year, I was going to be uh, I decided to be a Southwestern archaeologist, and so I applied to the major programs in, in the West that did Southwestern archaeology. But a, a very charismatic professor entered the scene in 1967, and that was Christy G. Turner. And uh, for reasons I've never fully understood, he took a shine to me. And my senior year, he was actually able to procure a four-year NIH genetics fellowship for me uh, if I would study teeth. <laughs> and uh, he, he slowly got me into teeth, but uh, by the time I started graduate school, you know, that, that was the goal, to study teeth rather than potsherds. And so for the next uh, five years, I was working on uh, uh, dental morphology and, uh, and dental genetics. I was studying families. And, and, and my dissertation title kind of sums it all up. It was uh, Dental Morphology, a Genetic Study of American White Families and Variation in Living Southwest Indians. And it was at that time that I was first, uh, in, I first encountered Euto-Aztec and premolars. So Dr. Scott, for our listeners who know nothing about teeth, can you explain to them what is the Euto-Aztec premolar? And why is it called this? Okay, first of all, I'll, I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll tell you how it originally got its name. Uh, it is a trait that you observe primarily, although we have discovered since, not exclusively, on the upper first premolar. Now, the upper first premolars have two primary cusps, a buccal cusp and a lingual cusp. And the uh, Aztec and premolar involves basically a pronounced rotation of the buccal cusp away from the, the line of the teeth. It's hard to do this without using some technical terms. <laughs> but, uh, but the angle uh, of the buccal and lingual cusps is usually, say if you drew a line across each of those cusps, the angle in most normal people would be between 6 and 12%. Oops, I mean 6 and 12 degrees. For Euto-Aztec and premolar, it's, the rotation is like 25 to 60 degrees, and there is a distinct pit on the 
back part of the tooth. That's called the distal part of the tooth. But it's very distinctive and uh, uh, it's, it's hard to miss. And, it, oh, the second part was why is it called the Uto-Aztecan premolar? Well, one of my mentors at Arizona State was uh, Don Morris. And Don Morris wrote his dissertation on the Papago dentition. And he, he observed this trait and then uh, started looking around. And he thought it was limited to populations who spoke the Uto-Aztecan language. And that would include like the Pima, Papago, Hopi, Bannock, the Shoshone, groups like that. It was always rare, but he thought it only appeared in those groups. Although we now know that it doesn't appear only in those groups. That's interesting. I would have um, uh, had to ask the question, if it only appears in those groups, then uh, what would be the correlation? But if it, if it doesn't, then obviously it's a moot question. Yeah, the Shoshone are one of the major tribes in, in the basin and even in the, like the Wind River Shoshone up in Wyoming. It's a, a very widespread group. But it's, it's uh, along with the Ute uh, in Colorado, you know, that's why it's called Uto-Aztecan because uh, you have speakers, well, in central Mexico, the Aztecs all the way up to the Great Basin and the Colorado Rockies and the Utes. Mm -hmm. So that's where it gets that linguistic name. So it's a little bit of a misnomer. Yeah, even though it's a misnomer, uh, Christy Turner in a 1991 article uh, tried to get away from Uto-Aztecan premolar and called it the distosagittal pit. But, no. uh, <laughs> but that didn't have much panache. And so, <laughs> and so most of us uh, continue to call it the Uto-Aztecan premolar because when we use that term, people know what we're talking about. I mean, you, you hear things like that happen all the time, don't you? Just like, oh, well, we named it this, but it's really this. Nobody's going to change. Yeah, we have okay. another we have another trait like that uh, that Morris and Joel Irish discovered called the the Bushman canine, and uh, and Christy tried to change that to the canine mesial ridge, and people still don't know what that is. So for the most part, it still goes by the name Bushman canine. But is it is it really that people have? stuck to the names or that her names aren't like catchy enough <laughs> i you know i would probably say both but hey you know what 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 can you do we're, we're prone to remember the first and last thing that we hear so uh you say the first thing people are going to identify with that more the only people who are going to identify with the new thing are going to be the ones who didn't hear the other one first and then, like you just said, it's so long and not catchy. <laughs> yeah, you are exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, people have tried to, to change it, but it, it just doesn't catch on, so. That's okay, though. We have, a, we have a distinctive name for it. We know what we're talking about. It, language is a living, you know, a living thing that we use, so things are bound to change a little bit here and there. As long as everybody understands what we're meaning, then I think that's really what matters. You're exactly right. Uh, that is definitely the, the significant point that we all know what we're talking about. And there's so many articles that have Uto-Aztec and Premolar in it. 
and I can't think of a single one that has distosagittal pit in it. Yeah, it's like that snowball concept. Once it starts rolling, it just gets bigger and bigger. And trying to trying to split away from it at that point is, I mean, you're just creating two different tracks at that at that point. One's going to keep going. Right. <clears throat> That's right. Uh, so, this this premolar is typically found here in, um, I guess I would say in the Americas. Since we're talking about multiple locations here. So what is the significance of this premolar being found in Hungary and other parts of Europe? And what theory do you most support in its existence in Europe? Now, now the interesting thing about that is I go back a long ways with the Euro-Aztecan premolar. I actually found some in the, in the Hopi dentition that I turned over to Don Morris for his earliest publication. But uh, it, Christy and I wrote a book in 1997 called The Anthropology of Modern Human Teeth. And up until that time, the Euto-Aztecan premolar was known pretty much exclusively uh, from the Americas. And so I, I can still remember uh, putting a little paragraph in our book saying that the Euto-Aztecan premolar may be that rare trait that was uh, represents a mutation that occurred in the New World. And so for quite a while, I thought it was basically uh, uh, for Native Americans, it was found only in Native Americans. And in 2010, uh, a, a, a Colombian named uh, Miguel Delgado uh, sent me a picture of a Uto-Aztecan premolar that he'd found in Colombia. And he asked me, is this a Uto-Aztecan premolar? And I said, oh my God, that's one of the most beautiful ones I've ever seen. And it was symmetrical. It was on both uh, first upper premolars. And so we said, uh, do you want to write an article about it? And so uh, we did. We wrote an article for AJPA, or the American Journal of Physical Anthropology, in 2010. And we kind of continued the message that it was uh, principally a New World trait. Uh, he, had seen, he and Christy had both seen it in South America. They'd found like six cases out of 600. Uh, but it was still, you know, mostly in North America. But... Uh, like Christy observed, I'll, I'll give you a general idea. He observed 7,400 dentitions and found 34 cases of Uto-Aztecan premolar, and 33 of those were in the New World. And the only exception was one possible case from Australia. But other than that, uh, you know, it seemed to be a New World trait. Well, the following year, a, a friend of mine from ASU, Christo Janowski, and some of his graduate students uh, uh, corrected us to a degree. Uh, they provided a lot more data on the trait in New World populations. And, and it clearly was, you know, it's more common in, in Eastern American native populations than even in Southwest populations. But they also noted that a few individuals had reported the trait in uh, Europe. Uh, there were two from Germany, one from Spain, one from uh, Yugoslavia, and uh, one from France. And so there were five cases of Europeans. But and so, and I verified uh, one of those cases. It absolutely was a Euto-Aztecan premolar. So that would kind of indicate that the it's likely a trait that stemmed from original migrants then. Is that correct? 
Okay, now this was uh, the, the next step <laughs> or the yeah. next part of the story. Uh, a grad student and I went to Hungary in 2019 and uh, started looking at medieval Hungarian skeletons from the 5th to the 17th century. And uh, one day, one of the curators came in with a smile on his face and said, Richard, look at this. And I said, holy moly, Shandor, that's a dandy. <laughs> it was a Uto-Aztecan premolar. And I could not believe it because believe me, I was not expecting it. And then we proceeded to find three more cases. And this year we found one more. So we have now found five cases of the Uto-Aztecan premolar in Hungary. Uh, which basically doubles the number that uh, were, was present in Europe before. So the article explains, uh, goes into a little bit about uh, the transmission of the this trait um, from different locations, but you guys write in the article that, I'll just read the article. We suggest the direct transmission of the UAP trait from the West Eurasian lineage to the ANA population is the simplest explanation for its modern geographic distribution. Could you go into a little bit more detail about this and possibly um, talk about some of the other explanations for it? Okay, now this is uh, what happened. <clears throat> we sent the paper to AJPA and they said, oh, this is just a case study. But it wasn't just a case study because, you know, we were proposing a theory that's uh, related to a lot of the genomic research that's been done in Europe and uh, the Arctic and the Americas. And so what's really interesting about the Uto-Aztec and premolar is that it has never been observed in Arctic Americans. It is not in Inuit Aleut populations, despite the fact that dentally they show a lot of similarities to non-Arctic Native Americans. So. Uh, we really looked closely into this, uh, and especially with the, the help of John Hoffaker, who has uh, written books on Beringia. Uh, he, he's an archaeologist, and, and he's world-renowned in people in the New World things. Plus, he works in Siberia and the Ukraine. So, so we came up, how, we asked the question, how could this be in these European populations, or especially Hungary, and non-Arctic Native Americans, but not in Arctic Americans. And so that's when, uh, you know, we started looking at the genomic data and there was clearly, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but uh, Christy Turner looked at the Malta skeletons from Lake Baikal and they were clearly Western Eurasians. They were not East Asians at all dentally. And so it, it's obvious that at one point in time, Western Eurasians, uh, and basically, that includes a lot of Europeans, of course, uh, stretched way across the Arctic. And we think that uh, what happened was there was gene flow between that uh, Western Eurasian population and the ancient Native American population uh, that occurred after the split of Arctic Americans. And that's why Arctic Americans don't have the trait. But uh, so it's really an ancient link we see. And uh, I'll tell you something interesting that happened after this article was published. Uh, Emma Key Shathmary, who's a, a very well-known 
physical anthropologist. Uh, she used to be president of the association. I've never talked to her in my life, but after the article came out, she wrote me an email and said, Richard, I, I just read your article with great interest. And uh, you know, many years ago, I found the same thing for a genetic variant, but I didn't make too big of a deal out of it. And what it was, was this gene called the transfer B sub 0-1 variant that was found in, in, in European populations exclusively in Uralic groups, in Finns, in Naganasan, Laps, and get this, Hungarians. And plus this was also present in Algonquins and Athabascans and Central American natives, but not in Inuit Aleuts. Exactly the same thing that we see in the Uto-Aztec and Premolar. And mind you, she brought this to our attention after the article came out. So it was uh, pretty exciting to me at least that there was maybe this other rare genetic trait that is showing exactly the same thing we see uh, with the Uto-Aztec and Premolar. It sounds like some pretty substantial supporting evidence for sure. Yeah, we uh, we definitely feel good about it. You know, it's you know trying to you know describing things is fairly simple, but trying to explain them is much more difficult. And so you know, coming up with at least a tentative explanation for the unusual distribution of this trait, uh, you know, at least you, what you do is basically you're formulating a hypothesis, and people can later prove that it's wrong. And for the good old Udo Aztec and premolar, I was definitely proven wrong before that it's not exclusively a Native American trait, but it is mostly a Native American trait, but it's also shared with Uralic populations. And for those of you who do not know where Uralic populations are, it's basically Eastern and Northern Europe around Finland and just uh, East of Finland into what is now Russia and like the Samoyeds, that's a classic group, uh, Uralic group in that neck of the woods. And uh, when I read that, man, that was that was very exciting. It'd be funny if it was just like a pair of twins a few thousand years ago who had this mutation, who just one went left and one went right, and one just reproduced more than the other. It, that very well may have been the case. You know, we're not we're not saying you know natural selection drove this trait. We're, we just think it's a, an interesting thing that that probably involved, you know, we're just picking up an ancient signal of, of gene flow between two groups that are now very disparate, but they shared a common ancestor, you know, probably 40, 50,000 years ago. It's crazy. Somehow these, <laughs> this, this rare trait. Now I have analyzed Pima pedigrees for this, and it's not a simply inherited trait but it is definitely heritable because in, in some cases I found it in, uh, in family members. And I looked at 2,400 Pima and I found 17 cases. So uh, between me and Christy Turner, we've probably seen more of this trait than anybody else on the planet. Uh, other people see one here or there, but uh, I think I saw about 35 and Christy saw about 35. Dr. Scott, is there anything you want to add on to that that we haven't discussed? Uh, 
No, I think uh, that's <laughs> that's about everything I have to say about this. It was interesting. We went back this summer after two years of COVID and started, mm. and, and we scored almost a thousand Hungarians uh, for the full set of dental traits. And we did find one more Uto-Aztec and premolar, so uh, that was pretty exciting. And uh, Hungarians are really interesting. So one of my uh, PhD students, Larissa Dern, is, is uh, writing her dissertation on Hungarian population history. So I'm very anxious to see uh, what her analysis shows. Well, maybe we'll have to reach out to her after she uh, publishes. Okay, that'd be a great idea. We're doing some really exciting things with teeth these days, but uh, yeah, I don't want to bore all your listeners with that, but they are powerful tools for reconstructing population history. What will you be working on next? We're trying to tie these various traits to uh, uh, some of the major signaling pathways in dental development. And uh, we've already, uh, well, one person, well, a group of uh, scholars in Japan pointed out that uh, this allele called EDAR-V370A uh, was linked to shovel-shaped incisors. And it's really put us on the path of looking at other uh, SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms that could be linked to these dental traits, which now appear to be genetic hitchhikers. That, uh, in other words, they're tied to their pleiotropic traits uh, that may have more uh, significant uh, value from the standpoint of natural selection. And these dental morphological traits are going along for the ride. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I'm working with people all over the world on this stuff too. So it's, it's a new push for the end of my career. <laughs> it's a great way to end the career though. Oh yeah, you're... you're bringing new information to the table anytime you do that and you sound so passionate about your uh, about your work here too and that it's just been a delight to talk to you well it's I, I, i'll talk about this stuff anytime any place and uh, <laughs> needless to say i'm passionate this goes back over 50 years and i'm still doing it well yeah you should be passionate then thank you very much for being uh, here yeah thank you dr scott for being here thanks for reaching out and for our listeners, thank you for listening in today. You can check it out, check us out on our new website, www.anthropotamus.com, where you can find all our episodes and new blog posts that we have just started posting. Until next time, bye. Thank you all for listening. Distribution of Anthropotamus is in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. Please continue to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Anthropotamus for our latest episodes, show notes, and book discussion schedule.